Previously on Is It Yours, Paul and Scott said, but I'm ranking this as yours because I think this is a an extremely well put together, well thought out, well acted, well directed movie with so few flaws uh, that I had to struggle to find some of them. And the ones that I did find were good fodder for a discussion, but certainly not anything that took away from my enjoyment of the movie. Uh, I didn't know how you were going to come down on this. I didn't know if this was going to be like a Jaws 2 Plus or something, but uh, my plan to come into this was also to make this Jaws. And for me, it is Jaws. Definitely. But what did they think of the comic book version? And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Stop it! Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bins. I got nowhere else to go! I got nowhere else to go! I got nothing else. Hello everybody and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spitaro and I am joined by my buddy Scott Rifen. And if you were listening to last week's Is It Yours, you heard Scott and I waxing poetic about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Uh, If you were not listening to that, I'm going to ask that you go back and listen to it now before you listen to us talking uh, about the comic book adaptation of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Scott, I want to thank you for not only clearing time in your schedule to talk to me, but clearing enough time to do two episodes all in one. Oh, yeah. No, excited to do it, especially, you know, like this. It's like double mint gum, two, two, <laughs> two and one. I have often considered myself twins, so. <laughs> I don't even want to know why that would be. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I guess this was in an era when comic book adaptations of popular movies were probably more popular than they are now. I think now you'd see more of sequels to the movies in the comics and, and you know, expansions on what we saw, but I don't know if you'd see an adaptation of the movie quite so much now. You don't see it so much. You're right. And you, you remember when I was talking on back to the, or, or on, uh, is it Jaws? I was talking about the fact that novelizations aren't really a thing anymore. Uh, that was also the case with, comic adaptations where there were comic adaptations of movies that you're going there was a comic adaptation of that the marvel super special series if you recall and i recall because it started what was the first issue of marvel super special wasn't that kiss it was kiss that's correct i understand from from various sources that you are a fan of that particular um, rock group i have been known to indulge in a kiss or two um <laughs> <laughs> That's not the way I expected well, it to be no, worded. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I have a, I have a massive Star Wars collection. I have a nearly as massive Kiss collection. It's just not in this room, uh, except for my Ace Frehley Les Paul, which is just off camera. So, um, okay. but but yeah, so they started with that, and they, you know, some of the earlier issues. If you look, there's a there's a second Kiss issue. And there's a Conan issue, and there, you know, they they were kind of. Well, I'm, I'm just looking at a list now yeah. that you got. Uh, 
Issue number three was Close Encounters. Yeah, Close Encounters. Uh, issue number six was Jaws 2. Yeah. Uh, issue number seven of all things to adapt to a comic book, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club yes. Band, not the album, the movie. The movie. Uh, yeah, and that's you got I mean, and you got a bunch of other things. We have Star Trek: The Motion Picture, yep. Picture, Empire Strikes Back, Xanadu, which would make Doctor Bill happy. <laughs> Xanadu, uh, um, Rock, Rock and, and Roll, Octopussy, yep. Return. You know, I, I can't say Return of the Jedi without thinking the Return of the Jedi no, <laughs> in honor of your mom. Mom probably appreciates that. Uh, me, I'd rather forget it, but I can't. Um, yeah. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. That's that's a at this point that's a deep cut. And yeah, if anybody is. knows what I'm talking about, they should <laughs> laugh. And if they don't know what I'm talking about, you know what? Listen to three, four hundred episodes of Dinner for Geeks, and you'll find it. We just. I just got a note from a guy, very nice guy named Jim in Ohio, who has now listened through that series for the third time in the last couple of years. So uh, apparently it does have some re-listen value to it. So I'll just say that. Um, but yeah, that, that was a kind of it was kind of a thing that started. It, it wasn't sure what it wanted to be, and then eventually it just became movie adaptations. Uh, and it does look like sometimes they were struggling to find movie movie adaptations to do because Rock and Roll Annie, Annie was one they did. Remember the 1982 Columbia Pictures Annie with uh, Carol Burnett and Albert Finney and Aileen Quinn. Yes, I do. Yes. I, although, you know, I'm not sure I ever sat down and watched the movie. I am familiar with it. I don't know that I ever will sit down and watch the movie. And, and you may never need to sit down and watch the movie. But that was, you know, they but they did The Dark Crystal and they did Conan the Barbarian, the movie. And uh, just, they did a ton of different movie adaptations. But other people were doing them, too. I mean, if you remember, there's a Clash of the Titans adaptation. I think maybe Gold Key did. And Gold Key definitely did The Black Hole and uh, uh, beneath the planet of the apes. And did now the goal key do beneath the planet of the apes? I'm pretty sure it's gold okay. key. Okay, okay. I didn't realize that I one. That's good. Yeah, that's this. There's a bunch of things like that, and I'm gonna just throw. I'm gonna cut into a little bit though. When I did the uh, the poll of listeners, and we did a bunch of episodes on the best comic book movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Al Sedano, who's been a friend of the show for a number of years. Uh, he put in a list on behalf of himself and his wife, and her number one movie was Annie. So, mm. you know what? Good for her. Yeah. <laughs> you know, every everything has an audience, and mm-hmm. I and I would never question anybody's desire to enjoy something that that tickles that bone for them. And Annie comes uh, full circle, movie, and then back into a comic adaptation of the movie adaptation of the comic. So. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, actually, that that is very true. Uh, yeah, we have the last Starfighter they did, Buckaroo Banzai, Sheena. Sheena, Queen of the Jungle, uh, yeah. Conan the Destroyer, Dune, 2010, the year we made contact. Yeah, that was actually a pretty good adaptation. But what they Santa Claus, the movie. Yes, yes, I didn't buy that one, but yes, I remember it. Uh, but yeah, what they would usually do with a lot of these, if they were any degree of success, was they would take them and they would sell them as the magazine, and then uh, a couple of months later they would start breaking them down into multiple issues and sell them on the newsstand as well, uh, at a slightly cheaper price with obviously newsprint instead of that fine, fine Baxter paper that they would use for the Marvel Super Special. Usually Baxter paper. Sometimes it was a glossy deal. But yeah, I think Jaws 2 was on more of a glossy paper. And and what format do you own this in? Um, I own the Super Special. I own the individual issues. Uh, I used the uh, Dark Horse Omnibus 
or uh, rereading the material in this. I, I, I own it, in a, as, as is the case with many Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and Kiss things, I own a lot of different copies of it. <laughs> and, and I say that not not in an attempt to degrade in any way, uh, but but in in with total respect for that, because I'm just as much of a tool in my own way, <laughs> although I only own this in one version. Uh-oh. Uh, I only I only own the super special and I purchased it I believe if my memory is correct at New York Comic Con for a dollar. Oh wow! Uh, so you know it, it, the original cover price is two fifty, uh, and I was able to find it for a dollar and I was thrilled to do so. So it is what is you know it has what you're always going to suffer from in these uh, adaptations. Uh, there's always going to be some likeness issues that are going to arise there's always going to be some uh effort to tell the story in a way that it is in the movie and to recreate that feeling uh where you may not be able to quite get that uh and we're going to get into some more details on that because i think it actually did a pretty good job on both of those things but uh this is like many things with lucas films this was one where apparently Marvel ran into some problems because uh, the way I read it was the people at Lucasfilms did not understand how comic books worked. And they were presented with, you know, they would pre- give, I guess, give the screenplay to, uh, who was the writer on this? Is David, David Michelini? Yeah. Yeah. They gave, you know, he was provided a copy of the screenplay to work from. He wrote a script. Lucasfilms would examine the script closely, suggest some changes, approve it. Then Butch Geis, who's the artist on it, would draw the thing. It would get inked. It would be ready to go to the printer. And then they would say, oh, we want you to change these three pages because we don't like the way the story plays out here. And it's like, you don't realize how much work that you just created and, and how much how many problems you created, but apparently, according to what I read about it, uh, Butch Geis was like the ultimate team player and just without complaining, went ahead and redrew pages uh, and, and you know did so with a smile, which is, I could say, more than I would do in the same situation. Yeah, and, and these Lucas films are like that in that a lot of things get changed as they're making the film, as the production goes on. And they, of course, try to plan as much as they can in advance, but as things are going on, things change. You, you remember famously, I think you probably remember, the super special adaptation of uh, The Empire Strikes Back. They had to replace Yoda. And because the original idea for Yoda was this little purple pixie guy, little skinny purple pixie guy, and that's what Al Williamson and Carlos Garcon drew and then by the time it was going to press, that wasn't what Yoda looked like at all. The unfortunate thing is that some of the versions of it, like the paperback version, they didn't have time to change them. They couldn't change it had already gone to print. So uh, there are some adaptations of Empire Strikes Back that still have that other Yoda. I think you see some of that in this movie, in this uh, adaptation, or, or instances where, you know, you, you often hear about uh, Howard Chaikin trying to do Star Wars and how he just, he had a couple of photos, set photos, and a couple of, production paintings and had to work from there and no real sense of what anything actually looked like uh i think you see that a lot particularly in the opening section of this you know where they're in the uh, club obi-wan which never gets named by the way you never see the sign out front that's in english it's all everything's in uh, in chinese or or may not even be real chinese i don't even know because i don't 
and read it. But uh, the, the club just doesn't have the look, vibe, or feel of the club that's in the film. No, and, and we really don't get a feel for the production number at all, no. which is part of, you know, we talked about it with the movie. It You know, despite its being not really something that you expect in an Indiana, Indiana Jones movie, it does add a lot as far as ambiance mm-hmm. and the feel of the era and all of that. And, you know, you, you're going to lose something like that, but I don't know how, even if, you, even if they drew more of that, uh, I don't know that it adds anything to this. So I just think that's something that has to be sacrificed because you're not going to be able to recreate that vibe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wanted to mention before we go too far that this came out in uh, oh, what's the date on it? I'm losing it. 1984, mm-hmm. and uh, it is again adapted by David Michelini, art by Jackson Butch Geis and Ian Aiken. I've read the name. Oh, it's actually Ian Aiken, Brian Garvey, and Bob Camp. Of those three names, I've heard of Ian Aiken, but I don't know that I'm really familiar with him. Uh, colored by Andy Yankus lettered by John Morelli, and the cover is by Jackson Geis. Uh, so we'll start with the cover. I think it's pretty sharp. I don't like the coloring on it, but the actual artwork I like. Um, only thing is, Short Round looks like a teenage girl on the cover. <laughs> right. Other than that, I think I think if, you, if they cleaned up the coloring a little bit, I think it would be. A, I think it's it's very well drawn. Put it that way. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a. There's kind of a. I don't know. A purpliness to it that's kind of outside the palette of the film. And I guess that's probably one of the things you have an issue with the co- with the coloring. It is. It's just kind of outside the palette of the film. If that makes sense. Well, over by Mulderam, there's you know flames, and I think that's what that purpley look is supposed to be creating. Kind of the ambiance that comes off of those flames. Yeah, but why not red? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> red's kind of the, one of the movie's central colors. Would let's go with red. <laughs> That's uh, just just the way you say it. It reminds me of uh, this is so off the beaten path. It's ridiculous. But uh, in the movie Elf, mm-hmm. when when the guy says, "Oh, you know, we're doing this. That's my favorite." So how about work? Make work your new favorite. <laughs> and I'm just saying, how about red? Make red your new favorite. <laughs> So, but uh, like I said, I, I think you got to give Butch Guys credit for the quality of the drawing, because mm-hmm. even even my criticism of Short Round, I think if the coloring were better, I would I, I don't think he would look as much like a teenage girl. No, and he's probably based entirely on production sketches and a storyboard somewhere, and that's it. Um, yeah, so he's made to look older than uh, I forgot the actor's name. Yeah, but, but he's made, made to look older than. There you go. Thank you. Uh, than he is in the movie. <laughs> but, yeah, but that's the other thing too is if you read the adaptation, they refer to him as twelve, and I don't, I don't have him as twelve. I have him as nine or ten in that movie. Uh, I think they went. In fact, in fact, if memory serves, and I could be wrong on this, but it seems like maybe his older brother was up for this role instead of him, and they kind of went, "Well, what about this kid? He's great." And I think they cast that the role younger familiar. than they wrote it. That sounds very familiar. I think I've heard that story before, yeah. so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you credit for total accuracy without any right. documentation to prove it. I think that's the best way to do it, really. <laughs> so, so what you know, the opening sequence. Uh, I like the way the shadows are shown in the opening sequence. I think it it creates a, a foreboding uh, look. 
even though in the movie it's supposed to be kind of a contrast with the you know the the song and dance to the to the darkness of what's going on since we're eliminating the song and dance uh, again i'm kind of going with the fact of the shadows being okay i don't like that you see uh Lauchet's son poisoning indiana's drink mm-hmm. because i think they just served him a, a poison drink to begin with yes. and they they didn't have to you know, be so overtly sneaky with it. Yeah. What the, what they do in the film is they just they show it just being placed on there, and they don't really tell you. I think Sonny does it because I think you see the the finger that's been chopped off. But you know, it's just it's you just lightly see it being placed on there, and then you don't really think anything about it, uh, and it's done without calling attention to itself. It's more in the movie. It's more when uh, when when Willie interrupts. Just before uh, Indiana's going to take the drink, and Lausche is like, "Sit down," because yeah. you know he wants him to drink it. Yeah, yeah. And you don't realize it. that until you find out that he was poisoned. Yeah. But you know, but that—that's a little kind of foreshadowing of what we're going to get in that. Mm-hmm. Oh, so let me I, let me. Go I ahead. like that moment, and I think we lose a little of that. Let here. me go ahead and fess up. Uh, the kid is twelve when he made the movie. I just don't have a good sense of what twelve is, apparently. And that his brother was one of the auditioners, but his brother's actually younger than that. So. Oh, I guess they okay. actually went older with it, but it, it, to me, he doesn't play 12 at all in that movie. I never believed you when you said that before. <laughs> I didn't believe me. That's why I had to look it up. <laughs> no, but uh, you know what? It's been uh, a long time since either of us had a 12-year-old, so yeah. I, could, I think we, we have the right to not know exactly what that looks like yeah. anymore. Very, very true. Very true. Um, uh, go ahead. So I, I know you had more criticism over this opening scene, so I'm going to just give you the floor if you want well, just, to tell me what you're thinking. Again, the opening scene is played in a room that is very sparse at a table that is very pedestrian. Uh, everything just kind of looks like the background of an Archie comic instead of this exotic Chinese hotel. It, it's not Geis's fault. He was He's playing the best of what he was given. Uh, the... Part of the problem is Spielberg is just so darn cinematic. And there's so much that is just so, at its core, fundamentally cinematic about this segment, or the sequence, that uh, it's hard to say, okay, we're going to draw, we're going to do illustrations of, of, you know, a bucket of ice tipping over and obscuring a diamond. You know, we're going to do an illustration. Uh, you, you see when uh, Nurhachi is brought to the table, he's almost brought to, in a cigar case almost. I mean, it's it, it's, it's not this ornate thing that's, that's in the film. Uh, when they shoot Wuhan, they just they just turn around and shoot Wuhan. Uh, whereas in the film, you get this this the kind of the succession of champagne corks going off, and then the glass breaks, and then the blood spreads on his chest. You you can't do that in a comic book. You can't. Yeah. No. And that's that's. A particularly compelling scene, the way that mm-hmm. happens, that it's clear Wuhan doesn't even know he's shot yeah. when it first happens. Yeah, he looks at the glass. And hmm. I think, I think that there's an element of realism to that, because I, you know, I mean, obviously some people are shot and immediately feel it, yeah. or some people are shot and immediately die. But I've heard of instances where people were shot and didn't feel it right away because the cutting through the skin that the bullet did was so smooth. That it didn't cause immediate pain. It was the wound afterwards that caused the pain. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but again, it's just it's just a great visual where he's just sitting there, and all of a sudden on that white shirt, you see that blood spread out, and you just can't do that in a comic book. You can't do that in a drawing. 
Um, well, you'd have to do it over like three pages, which you don't have that. No. And, and that freedom to do that. Well, and think about this. This is, I think we mentioned in the, uh, uh, is it Jaws that it was, this movie was an hour and 58 minutes. Star Wars originally was an hour and 55. Star Wars got six issues. This gets three. Mm, so that's a good point. Yeah. They, they have half the space to tell the story of this film and, uh, it, that, that Star Wars had. And Star Wars, you read the adaptation, you go, boy, they left some stuff out. Now, there's certain aspects of this that, you know, I, I think it's very easy to criticize these kind of things because when you have a movie that's based so much on action like this, it's virtually impossible to to create a perfect adaptation of it. But I'm just I'm looking through the opening scene here, and when uh, when the diamond falls on the floor and there's a Chinese lady looking to pick it up, and Willie comes over and says, "Excuse me, but I believe that's my diamond," and she like kicks the woman in the ass, and knocks her over. That looks like it's out of a Popeye cartoon to me. <laughs> It just doesn't play right for yeah. me. It doesn't look real. But again, what you have to do, and you're David Michelinie, and you're going, how do I convey knocking over uh, an ice, you know, a, a, a big bucket of ice onto the floor that suddenly loses this this diamond in the middle of all this? How do I do all these things? I have to come up with something different. And that a lot of instances where there are things that are different, and you look at them, you go, oh, I know why this is different. It's different because... There's really no way to do that other thing. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. that's one of those. I don't know that this was the right solution. <laughs> but, and, and you got to remember, too, Michelini at this point was good. It, it's funny you mentioned that uh, Lucasfilm had problems with the scripts and wanted to send them back last minute. He had danced this dance before. In fact, when I interviewed him for my Star Wars story, um, which was a great, great time that we had just sitting and, and chatting with him about his experience at Marvel doing Lucasfilm projects. Uh, by this time, he'd already done a good bit of work on the Star Wars series. had already come off the Star Wars series, uh, but he'd spent a, a good chunk of time doing a great job of navigating Lucasfilm. I, I suspect that's one of the reasons he got this gig, was he knew how to work Lucasfilm at this point. Uh, and still, you have issues like this weird solution of kicking the woman in the butt to get her away from the diamond. Just odd. Yeah, it, it's just, it doesn't feel true to what's going on. It doesn't feel consistent with what's going on for me. The fact that Willie's going after the diamond does, yes. but I think there might have been a more elegant way to show that particular element of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's easy to sit and criticize after the fact. And for all I know, Michelini had a better version of it and that and lucas films might have said no yeah they may have they may so, have you know when when you're dealing with this level of editorial interruption on things and and you know fingers you know so many fingers touching the uh the final product i don't think it's fair to ever blame one person for it no but you know after they once they escape from the club i think to me visually it picks up a notch well, again, now we, we have the scene with them driving away and going to the airport. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a lot of effect with the lighting. Uh, you know, there's a lot of very light blue coloring on it, but I think that works well. Uh, and then the scene, like, you know, I'm, I'm looking to what is page, I don't know, page 12 of the PDF that I'm looking at right now of it. But, uh, you know, after he takes the uh, antidote and they're shooting at him, uh, the scene, the scenes in the streets with the cars 
look particularly well done to me. Mm-hmm. Well, and again, there's a sense of setting, there's a sense of place, there's a sense of design to what's around him that, that is what was missing in the club for me. Uh, with the exception of the dragon at one end of the room, the club, Obi-Wan in this comic, could have been Pop Tate's Chocolate Shop. I couldn't really <laughs> tell you the difference there. Uh, but here, there on the streets of Shanghai, I get this. I, even though I've never been there and I can't say, well, this is accurate to the degree of you know the you know the balconies are exactly in the right spot i don't know anything about that but what i know is when i look at it it feels right it feels like it set me in that in that location and the club didn't do that for me now just to to kind of go with it also uh i feel like for the most part uh laoche indiana willie and short round are all very well drawn as far as their features go mm. They all look like the actors and actress uh, that played the parts uh, without ever looking to me like their photo reference. Now, they okay. may be, for all I know, but they, I, I, it doesn't jump out at me as being such. Mm-hmm. No, I, so I think that's a plus. I, and I think Geist does a really good job. I think Ford's hard to draw because um, I see a lot of people just not get him right, and especially if they're not just doing a photo reference. Uh, but in, in this particular instance, I think he, he does a really good job of capturing him uh, in things that are clearly not photo reference. So, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Now, uh, you know, we get to the uh, to, the, to the airport and, uh, you know, we have the Dan Aykroyd character who looks virtually nothing like Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> no. uh, but they got on the plane. And, and I think we have the, kind of the same effect as we have in the movie when, you know, Lao Shea is there and... and Indiana's just happy that uh, that they beat him out, and then he closes the door, and you see it's yeah. excuse me, Laoche air freight, and and you know okay, he's in trouble. Yeah, and but they do it through uh, through narration boxes, and one of the things that I realized in reading rereading this is I miss narration boxes. I, I definitely do as well. I think that that is. Uh, you know, to cut back on them, yes. Mm-hmm. To eliminate them, I think, is a, a an editorial mistake. Yeah, and I, and I feel like far too often what you have writing comics in this day and age is you have a bunch of wannabe screenwriters who are writing movies, and it, it's not the same medium. And I think sometimes they, they don't get that it's not the same medium. Uh, and, and unfortunately, it leads to their not being able to exploit the medium to its fullest because they're too busy writing a movie or something that can do a lot of different things that movies can't do. Um, well, what they frequently do, to, to my experience, is they'll present those narration boxes as being effectively thought balloons. Yeah. They'll have the character who we're following being the narrator, yeah. uh, and they limit themselves too much by doing that, I believe, yeah. uh, you know, in, in, in my humble opinion. No, I'm totally totally with you on that. Sometimes you just need that omniscient narrator to kind of move things along in a, in a good comic book way. So we, we get a demonstration. Now, I like the artwork on the plane crash mm-hmm. and the subsequent falling into the uh, water. And once again, I think this is a scene where they had to get a lot of action squeezed in in a short period of time. And I think Geis does a really good job of distributing the action so that you can kind of follow what's going on. And I'm trying to, and it's, it's almost impossible to do so, but I'm trying to look at this with an eye of if I hadn't seen the movie, would I be able to uh, to kind of follow the action the same way? And I think I could. 
Yes. Um, but obviously there's just less of it. And I particularly look at the rapid scene. They're going over when they go over the cliff in the movie, they go over a huge cliff, a huge matte painting cliff. And, uh, and this, you don't get that sense of the same scale. But again, I think a lot of it comes down to we're reading a script. We're not looking at the image. We're not looking at the finished product. We're not looking at the film. We're looking at words on a script and maybe the occasional storyboard, concept art. And that's that's about it. And it's, it's kind of how it plays. And I think a lot of it might be, okay, this is the actor we hired to play this part. He is... A look at his general look so you yeah. can kind of recreate it as well as you can uh but you know we can only do so much with it uh and i, I again i think geist does a good job of, of presenting all of that uh, so we get to the village the the young boy uh, passes out in indiana's lap uh does that kid die i didn't feel like he did i i, I never thought he did but then i started thinking about it yesterday and i was wondering to myself if he if if you know if the kid is so uh, starved and and dehydrated that he that he's not going to make it, especially in a village where they have so little have no in the way of water. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know. I I feel like maybe I'm wrong on this. I feel like there is enough humanity to Indiana Jones that he doesn't see the kid, and then the kid dies, and he says to Short Round, "Hey, this is fortune and glory for us." And I could yeah. be wrong. Okay, good that, point. But... Good point. No, I, I, I don't think. I, I, I think even if he's thinking fortune and glory, he would have enough sense to not say it. Yeah. The shooting star so, and all that. Yeah. So now we get to a scene that does not exist in the movie, uh, and I don't know that it should exist in the movie. Where instead of just having the snake that uh, Willie pulls from the trees, she gets wrapped by a boa, and Indiana has to talk her through the uh, emergency to get her released. Yeah. What's your take on this? Uh, this is another one of those that I saw and I went, you know, I think this is a situation where Spielberg's film, A, it may have been in the script that way and they changed it on set. I know, I'm certain, based on both adaptations of it that I've read, three adaptations of it that I've read, because there's the junior novel too, that when he takes over in the plane and she says, do you know how to fly, right? And he goes, no, do you? That's in no adaptation anywhere. And all of the all of the adaptations seem to go along the same line of, oh, don't worry about it, sweetheart, I got this. Uh, and I think there's a possibility that the way they told the story in the, uh, uh, in the film is maybe a little more on-set improvisation. But also, the way it's told on film, again, doesn't work. Or comic books where the elephant's banging her in the head and then she thinks the snake is the elephant and it, none of that works. So here's David Michelini going, well, how do I convey that same story beat of she's got a snake and he, she seems less afraid of the snake than he is. And, you know, I think, I feel like this was a construction where he just said, I can't do what they're asking me to do in the script. So this is how I'm going to go around it. See, I got the impression that this was in the script, mm. that and and that Spielberg said, "I don't like the way that plays, mm. so I'm gonna I'm gonna make it into a slightly more comic scene of her pulling the snake down and not even realizing it's the snake, thinking yeah. it's the elephant, because uh, that works visually. Yeah, 
it, it and and it works visually with live action. It doesn't. I don't believe it works in a comic book panel, as you, as you already said. Yeah. Uh, so, but I, I I suspect that that was him changing on the fly. It could be, and that's what I was talking about earlier. I I know that there are instances of that happening because, you know, if every adaptation is consistent, and the movie's not, then you you know it's something happened on the set. Yeah. I I really like this shot of them pulling up to or them from afar. Uh, looking at Pankot Palace, mm-hmm. I think that's you know again I might have a little issue with the coloring because it's a little too okay you know it's a little too coloring book looking. To I was going to say well it's it's also a little too four color comics. Yeah, if if there had been a little bit more bleed of the colors to to make it just blend a little bit more and and to have it not so consistent okay this rock is blue this rock is gray these rocks are kind of a pinkish orange you know in, instead of having that if they actually had some bleed in it and had some different colors going which i think was beyond their ability to do back in in 1984 yeah. uh i think it would be a sharper image uh but i can't again i can't blame guys for that no it's a good illustration so I do find it interesting it. that when she, at the end of their discussion, right before that, she, she thinks fortune and glory, sweet dreams, Doctor Jones, all of which was kind of. It, in the movie, she delivers the lines in very sarcastically. The fortune and glory is very dismissive, and the sweet dreams, Doctor Jones, is kind of again sarcastic. Uh, for her to think that line, though, it's kind of a different. It's kind of a different intent behind the line I find interesting, where she's kind of yeah, considering it, it, it. It's, it sounds to me, you read that in your mind, you're thinking of her as as kind of enamored with him. Yeah, and, she's and, softening uh, on him, yeah. Yeah. So, I, 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 yeah, I, I prefer the the more edgy, we don't really like each other, <laughs> but we're attracted to each other. And it, also that plays into when we, when we talked about it on Is It Yours, that the not getting soft on each other plays better with the this is a passing romance fling that's going to end and you know it explains why she's not there by the time we get you know two years later yeah absolutely or one year later yeah okay stop correcting me on the years (laughs) this is 35 that's 36 all right (laughs) uh now the you know the whole dinner scene loses loses its effect i think it does not work on on comic books no and the chilled monkey brains and all because a lot of that is again live action visual that you have to see when she goes into the tureen of soup and the eyes come up when when the ice when when it looks like it's just ice cream inside the monkey head that it's just like a monkey head bowl or something uh you know that that all seems to 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 play well, but in here it's kind of like, eh, all right, whatever. <laughs> yeah, and they they do have before the dinner starts, they have that kind of reception scene. That's a lot. It, it's really all kind of consolidated into the dinner scene uh, in the film. But in the reception scene, they do have uh, Colonel Bloomberg and uh, Indy talking about the Katya, which is kind of that setup for the voodoo storyline that comes later that they don't really introduce in the film at all uh, and again that's a thing where i feel like they had it and they cut it out right yeah that's a good point because yeah they they do he's explaining to uh to bloomberg what well, you know what it is and all of that and uh bloomberg's very dismissive of it yeah well and, and there's and then you know and the way it reads you know there there are very few criticisms people make of indiana jones of, of raiders lost ark i mean 
And uh, one of the few criticisms is that right after that opening sequence, it is a lot of exposition that is very slow and very Indiana Jones lecturing people in a professorial tone. And when you see that, and he's explaining what it is, it is exactly that that people criticized about Raiders. So I could clearly see them going, you know what, we don't have to do it. We can just cut it out. We can, we're fine figuring this out later on our own. Yeah, I can work with that. Um, just continuing to go through. So what does Willie pass out here? Is that what they're showing? Or Yeah, which, which she more or less did do in the uh, in the movie, but... Didn't she just get sick in Short Round's hat? She tries to, but then she kind of, once the, once the chilled monkey brain comes, she does kind of pass out. But they don't make a big deal out of, you know, get her to her room and take care of her. She's just there. And again, those are things we don't need to know. It's okay. We're fine. But in comics, you know, there's a whole change of setting. There's a whole change of clothing. There's So it may be that they have to say, okay, here's what happened and why. Hmm. Yeah, okay, I could go with that. Uh, the battle between Indiana and the uh, thuggy that comes into his room, I think that's well drawn by uh, Geis also. I think the pacing of it and the, the, the uh, what's it called, just the layouts of the... Uh, you know the the various movements until he finally gets caught up in the uh, fan. Yeah. Uh, that all that all works really well for me. You know what they don't include? Well, let me go back before, we, and I'll address that in a second. What they don't include is when they right before the dinner scene in the film, you have to have a reason for Indiana Jones to have stubble. Let's be honest. And so, we don't know why he would show up at a fancy dinner party with a suit and tie, and he's all. You know, he's all cleaned up, but he's still got his stubble. And so right before the dinner scene, they have him on the balcony yelling, Shorty, where's my razor? And there's no reason for that scene to exist other than to say, okay, he doesn't have a razor. That's why he's got stubble. Uh, in this, they don't really include that. You just, they just draw the stubble and you're good with it and you know that it's there. Uh, but yeah, as far as the thuggy attacking him, I think it's great. And I love the image after he gets pulled up by the fan and killed uh how they illustrate that without being graphic without being shocking but still very much conveying that this guy is is dead has been killed and that yeah it's off panel but it's gruesome don't worry about it just trust us yeah no it, it, you know, i mean you see uh if you you don't have the book in front of you if anybody listening you see uh kind of like just part you see his hands kind of hanging uh and then after Indiana retrieves the whip. You see the body on the floor, but again, not nothing particularly graphic about it. Uh, and then he comes into Willie's room, and that again, that that's a little bit more effective in the uh, live action because there's the the comic aspect, of yes. it, the comedy comedy aspect of it uh, that it gets lost here. Uh, and then they go in, and we have the bug sequence. And there's no way there is. It's not possible to convey in a graphic presentation uh the disgust that you get with the bugs yeah. that you see in the in the movie no I, and i think they do it as well as you can do it they really do the dogs agree and then we end up in the temple of doom now i don't particularly like the way guys drew the giant statue in the background it looks i don't know it, it looks Do, to me doesn't like, look quite right to me it looks like concept art 
You know what it looks like to me? It looks to me like the uh, the little. <laughs> I'm going to go to voodoo again. The little the little voodoo doll from uh, Trilogy of Terror. Mm. Oh wow. That's that's what it reminds me, me of. Remember renting that on video. And I'm just kind of working my way through the book as we go. Please add in anything you want. Okay. Uh, Art scene not the, there. Which which scene? The ripping the heart out scene not there. Yeah, you would think they would be a little bit more demonstrative on the uh, sacrifice. Not necessarily show the heart scene, but just build up the terror a little bit. I I, I would want like about three more panels in there to build that up. Uh, to, to see how they see this slowly developing and that they're helpless to stop it. Yeah, I think that would be effective. The, uh, one of the one of the differences here too is that you know Indy goes to get the stones and uh, he's captured, but then in the film they're immediately grabbed as well. Short round and uh, Willie watching from a distance by a guard who comes up behind them. In this one, they actually go all the way back to her room. And uh, Chatter Lyle's there going, hey, guys, what's up? Wait a minute. Hang on a sec. You know what? They do come in. There's a, uh, there's a different. That's interesting. No, yeah, I'm, I'm looking here. Indiana's captured. I think that's no. you said something earlier about them adding a couple of pages. Yeah, I think that may be because I do not see what you just described. Yeah, and I'm not seeing it on this, but I can tell you that I was actually reading that scene last night where the short round and and she and I was grabbing a digital copy. Now I'm now I'm curious. You know, you had us wait for a little bit earlier. Now I'm going to have you wait for a little bit earlier. Well, I looked okay. something up because this is uh that's that's in, in 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 the adaptation I'm reading. You know, Indiana's captured, and then uh, he's waking up in the cell already uh, in manacles with short round there. Yeah, and see, I started on this last night that way, and then I went back to this digital copy in the middle of it because uh, oh, because it was getting late. That's why, and I was trying to keep the lights off in the room, and I can't read without light on unless I'm reading on a tablet. So. Now, I think there's going to be something interesting come of this, because I will swear to you, I was reading the scene last night, not remembering this scene, and you know what's weird? I am now not seeing that scene that I swear I read last night. Was I passed out? You sure out? you didn't make it up in your mind? You know, there's a thing that happened I used to it's do the all Mandela the time. Mandela effect? No, I used to do this all the time when I was, when I, I don't do it now for some reason, but I used to, when I would read, I would start to doze off while I was reading, and I would keep reading in my sleep. <laughs> and then when I woke up and realized that I was just reading it, uh, I would have to undo whatever it was in my head that I thought I had read because it wasn't what had happened in the book. And I would swear to you there's a scene where she goes back to the room with short round and Chatter Lau shuts her down there. That is bizarre. Okay. Well, you know what? Maybe uh, you can get a co-writing credit on oh, this. Well, stuff. I should now. That is absolutely bizarre. Okay, so they're there, and then the temple, and then blah, and then she's there, he goes down, she's, and then they show up. Well, yeah, of course they show up. Okay, I'm wrong. I'm totally, that is totally weird. Because this was like on my mind from last night, that she and Short Round went back to the room, 
Chatter Lyle showed up in her room and told her what for. I may have made up my own whole a- aspect of the movie here. We, we might have to do a new uh, adaptation now. Yes. Just I'm to thinking. include that scene. You know, you got me very conscious of just because you mentioned it is is yeah. Indy's five o'clock shadow. Oh, wait, here it is. Here it is. I did. You find found it. it. Oh, it does exist. Uh, yeah, she does run back to her room and begs Chatter Lyle to help. And then. He oh, yeah. OK, that's in here, too. Yeah, actually, it's but it's not it's her a short no. round. It's her. Says Mr. Lyle, you've got to help us. Yeah. We found the temple beneath the palace, and some lunatics dropped some poor man in boiling lava. Yeah, none of that. Him. None of that's in the movie, but it's. Uh, it seems like it would be a thing that could be in the movie. It, it, you know, there it is kind of a stereotype in movies often that you know the guy you trust turns out to be involved in what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't have that turn in this movie. And maybe it's because Steve Spielberg felt it would have been too stereotypical to have that. Or maybe it's because he feels like he didn't even have to show it. Or maybe it's because he just for, you know, time, the economy of time, he wanted to just move the movie along. But I think it could have been an effective scene to actually have that and show that that's how they got Willie into the cage, basically, for her to be the next sacrifice. Yeah, and I guess the only, yeah, and I think that's what that's the setup for, obviously, but... uh... I guess it's another one of those Spielberg will just chop something up. I mean, he will just chop something out if it's not a hundred percent necessary. And if, and if it means that you've got to do a little bit more dot connecting in your head, so be it. And we have a scene of that nature in here where, uh, you know, one of the guards gets burnt and it, it kills the, uh, yeah. the, 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 the brainwashing that he's had and, and, Short Round takes note of it and knows that the pain will cause that, which is why he knows to burn Indy to yeah. to get him out of it. Yeah, instead of just because uh, it almost seems like happenstance in the film where he he just happens to grab the torch and go here, let me burn you because I love you. What? Okay. Uh, yeah, but, again, but you know what? I can't say I ever watched that scene and thought, well, how does Short Round know that that's going to get him out of it? Yeah. Uh, in in my mind, Short Round is just trying to defend himself. However, however he needs to, yeah. preferring not to hurt Indy in the process, and then but that just doing happens, what he has to. Yeah, that just happens to work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I, uh, you know, I'm going to give credit again to Geis. You know, we have the scene here with Indiana jump, run, you know, fighting with. Uh, is is he actually fighting with Chad Allow or just a guard? Uh, let's see. There's. It looks like it's. Yeah, it looks like they've. Hard to say because I think Chatter Lyle actually does have the he does have the makeup on at the beginning of the scene. Whoever it is has got red paint on him. Yeah, it, it's Chatter Lyle. They're coloring him like Chatter Lyle anyway. But the you know the the whole sequence there with them fighting over uh, you know over the cage and everything, and then going down. I think it's it's again well well laid out by uh, by Geis. Mm-hmm. And then with I, I, whether it's a guard or Chatter Lyle, but somebody's falling into the molten lava there. Oops. Which is not how Chatelau gets it in the movie. No, that is not. In fact, you don't you don't even know 100% that Chatelau dies in the movie. No, you just you just know his rib cage is crushed. Yeah, you know that he's he is holding everything up that uh, could be crashing down. That's about all you know. And we cut to the the mining uh, car scene, which is again I think it's as it, it's it's short and sweet in here. But I think it's as, as well put together as you're going to get. Well, and again, think, uh, you're faced with three issues to do it and a lot of motion that is not 
it, it's just not translatable in the way that it's done. But I, I think it's effective in here. I think mm-hmm. it gives us what we need to get, and yeah. you know, they show him having using his feet on the tires, and you know, I mean, we get a lot of this stuff. Um, they move along the water scene very quickly with them getting out of the way, mm-hmm. and in its own way, I think that might actually even be better than what we got in the I was, movie. I was about to say that, yeah, because the movie almost feels like you're you're out running water. Yeah, yeah. There's several different instances where they turn down this and then turn down that, and the water is heading them off at every pass, and that's kind of yeah. odd. And then it climaxes with that special effect that, as we mentioned before, there's so much daylight and light background special effects, which is just not back in the era conducive to uh, these these composite shots like they had to do. That uh, actually, yeah, I think not only does the scene play a little better in the comic. But it actually, the resolution of it, where they're standing on the side of the opening, and the water spewing out, it actually looks a little better. And it, 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 like I said, because it happens so quickly. I mean, we're talking about a total of really four panels for the entire sequence. I think that lends itself better to feeling like not much time passed. They didn't have much time to do what they did. They had just, you know, scrambled to get out of the way, and it's done. As, as opposed to, I'm going to outrun this <laughs> this wave of water that's coming towards me. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I think, uh, to a large extent, a lot of what we get from this point forward has the same economy of time that moves it along well. I mean, we don't have a lot of time between Indy getting on the bridge and Indy chopping the rope. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of panels. Uh, but I think, again, it's effective. Now, that said, the scene when he finally chops through... Uh, there's no way he's not falling to his death in that scene, the way it's drawn here. Yeah, yeah, the entire bridge is gone from underneath his feet. But we don't ask these questions. And then, you know, again, once again, I'm, I'm going to say, I think from there, with him fighting with Mulderam on the, on the bridge, uh, kind of the same thing. I think it's 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 quick, but I think it gives you what, exactly what you feel in the movie. My question again is and i can't really answer it as much is am i able to look at this very comfortably and feel the effect of what we got in the movie because i've seen the movie so many times or if i read this without having seen the movie would i think the same thing i'm not sure but i'm i'm ready to to go for the latter you know it's funny because then you do have to ask yourself what is the purpose of a comics adaptation of a film is it to tell the same story uh, but in a way that stands independent or is it supposed to be something where you kind of do, okay, here are the movie's greatest hits. If you saw the movie, you love this. Uh, and I think a lot of times they have to straddle that line. Uh, well, I think back in 1984 that was more the case than what we have now. Yeah, because you couldn't watch it you know, over, movie, over again. Well, you could with a lot of movies, but you, you couldn't do it with the Star Wars movies yet. You couldn't do it with Raiders yet. Um, you know, the, these movies were held back even when they were released on VHS. It wasn't going to be released for quite some time after it came out. You knew you, you were going to have a, a significant passage of time where if you wanted to, to re-experience the movie, you either had to be able to go to the theater to see it again mm-hmm. or you had to get some form of adaptation. Yeah, Raiders, uh, Raiders was one of the first, if you remember, it was one of the early sell-through videos. Where they, but it took a while for it to come out after VHS became popular. Yeah, it was probably 83 it was probably the year before this because when they released it, it had that teaser it had the coming trailer. attraction. Yeah, yeah, it had the teaser trailer for Temple of Doom. 
Um, and, and, but when it came out, you know, it was $30, which was, we thought cheap. Well, at the is, time it was, that was when they were charging yeah. 75 to $100 yeah. for a movie. Yeah. Yeah. When, when we had uh, platoon, when I was working in video rental and platoon came out, it was a 99, 98 list price. I remember that, uh, for a VHS, which is insane. But yeah, they, uh, th- those were things called rental price because at the time VHSs were rental prices. The stores would pay an outrageous amount of money for them. And then they would rent them out and make their money back. And, and, you know, Joe Public couldn't afford that. Uh, but Raiders was one of the first sell-throughs. But yeah, there were very few of those. I mean, that wasn't the, the norm. And more to the point, things would come out at rental and then come out at a sell-through price later. So you're talking about at least a year before it came out at rental. And then a year later, it would come out at sell-through. So you didn't have that, that access to the movie all the time. It, it's kind of, it reminds me of when I was a kid and I got the Star Wars Give a Show projector. You know, it's literally like a little slideshow version of the Star Wars movie, and that's it. That's all you got. I, I remember one of the, not one of the first, but one of the earlier Comic Cons I went to, uh, not New York Comic Con, just a comic convention mm-hmm. in Manhattan. And one of the tables they had a, uh, a film projector, you know, with eight millimeter film, oh, and yeah. they were showing they were showing the uh, Help Us Obi Wan Your Only Hope scene. And I, I, you know, I just walked up. I said, "Oh my God, you have Star Wars on, on a film." And they, they, the guy was like, he was, he was like the comic book guy from The Simpsons, and he was like so dismissive of me. He was like, "No, it's just this five minute scene, and that's it." <laughs> and and he was charging like, you know, like a hundred dollars for it if yeah. you want to buy it. Yeah, you could you could buy the Star Wars Super Eights out of the back of Starlog, and I remember wanting that so badly. My mom's going, "It's not the whole movie." I'm like, "What do you mean? It looks like it's the whole movie." Yeah. Well, that was. You know, growing up, that was my fantasy, was to be able to watch all those things at home, you know, the yeah. Planet of the Apes movies, the Star Wars movies, and all of that. So I guess eventually yeah. it came to pass. So you got all your fantasies. That's great. Yeah. I, I, everything's, <laughs> everything, it's all coming up, Paul. That's good. That's good. But yeah, I, uh, I, I like the way it's portrayed. The other interesting thing I find about the resolution, though, is that they, there are no alligators in the resolution. Mm-hmm. Well, there were no alligators when they filmed it either. Well, no, that's true. That is true. <laughs> they, they were put in later. So, uh, but they just kind of eliminated that as a we don't have to. That's one more thing that we don't have to show. Yeah, that, that, that honestly that didn't add to the uh, tension at all to me uh-huh. uh, in the movie because if you felt like if you felt that distance you were going to die anyway. Who cared if the the alligator ate your remains? Well, you know you could survive it, but you're not going to survive it if the alligator eats you. You know well, what I'm saying? I fall I fall that distance into rocky water. I'm going to be thanking the alligator for not letting me survive. <laughs> Put me out of my misery. <laughs> really. Uh, so anyway, just just really quick, the the this movie end or the book ends similar to the movie in that you know uh, Willie starts to go away. Indiana uses the whip to pull her back, and then he kisses her to end the thing. The difference is instead of the alligator and the alligator, the elephant uh, spraying them with water, we just have a short round looking over and saying, uh, "Grown ups." You know that strikes me though as, and i'll tell you another reason that strikes me it strikes me that the the elephant squirting them with water is uh an onset creation as well and they wanted something to kind of spoil that moment and that's what they did uh and the and, reason and and it goes to what we talked about with them you know you you don't want to feel like they're seriously in love yeah. with each other yeah well and but the the reason i say i i feel like it's probably an onset creation is if you watch it uh, they both like hesitate when they're supposed to get hit. It's not the best mm. 
best performed scene ever and it makes me feel like they just didn't have a lot of time with that moment and spielberg shoots quick so it's like okay it's good enough let's go on you hear about a lot of movies where something like that happens and the actors don't know what's going to happen because they want to keep that element of surprise in. Yeah. But it was it was probably too much of a setup to have the water all, all ready to go and whatever yeah. to to catch them off guard. But it would have been would have been a nice plus to to really surprise them with it. Yeah. If you go back and rewatch that scene, you'll see that they very much pause, hesitate when they're supposed to get hit by that water. So it says to me, eh, this was kind of a quickie thing we put together. We didn't have time to commit to it." Here's here's what we did, uh, and that's our little spoiler for it. And and what they had for it there is probably what was in the original script of, of uh, you know, short rounders going ah grown ups and walking away or something. And you almost see it, boom, yeah. <laughs> get the rim shot going right yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. So I guess final thoughts on this particular book. Um, it's funny because I think you know we like we talked about this is this is meant to give you that recreation of the movie theater feel that you couldn't necessarily get at the time, uh, which now we can get, so it's kind of made it less necessary. And yet I'm very happy that I want this just the same. Uh, I, I like this version. I like the artwork in it. And I think that's really what saves it, because, you know, not to, to denigrate Michelini at all, but I think he was writing this with, you know, uh, one hand tied behind his back because Absolutely. they made him do that. I think the editorial interference would have made it very very difficult to kind of be very creative with this so he had to do what you know he had to he had to work with those constraints whereas i don't think geist did even though he was the one who had to redraw pages when they got a hold of it um but i think i enjoy this more from an artistic point than a a writing point because from a writing point i'm perfectly fine just to watch the movie over again yeah from an artistic point, I like looking at the way that guy drew it. I think he, he, I think he hit the mark on a lot of the pictures. Uh, so, I think to rate this one, I'd have to give the story an incomplete because I, again, I don't think it's fair to to Michelini to give him a rating. Mm. But the artwork, I'm gonna say a solid B. It's not quite an A because there's a couple of sequences that we kind of suggested might have been put together a little better. But I, I think it's 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 a solid. I'm gonna even go B plus on it, because uh, I think a couple of the areas where I had to have complaints, a lot of it's on the coloring, which I think is based on the, you know, the the technology of the time, mm-hmm. and not not based on any deficiency in how they did it. Uh, so I'm gonna say a B plus on the art, and except for short round looking like a girl, I really like the cover as well. <laughs> uh, my only criticism of it is the is the, is the coloring. Yeah. Uh, and I, I would say I would say I would give the cover an A, if it was colored better. Yeah, uh, I'll uh, I'll go solid B on the art. I'm gonna go B on the script too because uh, there are deficiencies, but I, I think there are art deficiencies that are the same problem that the that the script has, which is, and again I go back to Club Obi Wan where there just isn't sufficient reference to convey what they needed to convey at times. Uh, at other times he just makes it up out of his. You know, just out of thin air, and, and he does well. I'll be honest with you. After having reread the entire Shang Chi run a couple of years ago, I would like to have seen Gene Day have a crack at this. Um, with all of the different Asian locales in there, he had a real knack for for doing that kind of thing. It would have been interesting. I, I like what guys did with the characters and everything, but it would have been interesting to see what kind of uh, what kind of a space Gene Day would have populated with that. 
think that's a really interesting thought because having gone over some old Shang-Chi issues, uh, I, I marvel at Gene Day's artwork. Oh, and, and his layouts were uh, obscenely good and sometimes overcomplicated to the point of just delirium. But um, uh, so I, I would say I'm going to give the script and the art both a B. And, and again, I think Michelinie was working with constraints. But at the same time, can you name a single major element of the story that didn't make it into this adaptation? And when we talk about this being kind of a way to recreate the movie experience without having home video, that means you're going to it expecting certain story beats to be there, or certain little moments in the story. And really, there's not a lot that's not in there for three issues. Agreed. Agreed. I think I think it, it you know it, it for the most part covers the movie in in short order. Yeah. Uh, and 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 I guess that's something we do need to give Michelini credit for. Yeah. I mean he he doesn't miss any beats on this thing, uh, despite all of the problems that they both probably had getting information and uh, and updates from Lucasfilm. So yeah, I'm going to give both art and uh, and script a B, and I'll I'll a minus you on the cover as well. Oh, cool. Uh, so that'll do it for a look at this adaptation. I want to thank you, Scott, for making time yeah. basically all afternoon to, to hang with me. I love it. Uh, and uh, hopefully we could do this again sooner than what took us last time, but I think we say that every time. Let's start planning tomorrow. All right, that sounds good. Let's figure <laughs> out what we're going to do, and we'll, you know, when, when an opening comes, we'll get it done. Yeah, exactly. All right, thanks again for coming on. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.